Thank you for joining us today. We'll conclude our study of the book of Jonah. We'll be discussing Jonah's second chance and God's lesson to us. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 3, we'll begin our lesson. Okay, so why don't I open us up in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you again for this time and the opportunity for us to come together and study your word. We just ask that you continue to guide our discussions. We appreciate the presence of the Holy Spirit here to help guide us. I ask that you guide us where we need to be. Let us learn something, each one of us, from this study today that can continue to transform us into the people that you want us to be. As I normally do, I ask that it be your words, not my words, because I'll surely lead people astray, and I sure don't want to do that. So I just ask that you guide our discussion today. Thank you for all your blessings you continue to pour out on us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to finish up Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 3. So where we had left off last night as we were studying this, Jonah had been vomited up onto the dry land from the fish. The Hebrew word vomit. It it translates. Vomit is vomit. So I have a quick question, Larry. uh, I understand a whale is a mammal, but why can't a whale be a fish? A whale can be a fish. It just doesn't say it's a whale. Oh, okay. That's all. Either could have been the whale. Could have been a whale. It just doesn't say it's a whale. So I was just being, okay. I just, you know, just... sort of like when I point out some of those other things that we all have in mind. Three wise men. It was just wise yeah. men. Yeah, that it was a whole group of wise men. It wasn't just three, but I'm just trying to take your learning to another level. I appreciate it. I just was clarifying. Okay, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah... Remember, that's what happened the first time, and it says this is the second time. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, and I've just got to stop here for a second. You know, God didn't give up on Jonah, even though Jonah has been a consistent failure so far in this story. God gives him a second chance, and it causes me to think, how many chances has God given me? How many times do I just say, no, I don't have time. God tells me to go do something. No, that's an inconvenience right now. I can't deal with that. I got my own agenda. Now, I will say there are other verses that say eventually God has had enough. There's verses that say, how long am I going to put up with you all? People who continually reject God and never put their faith in Jesus Christ, eventually their hearts are going to harden and there's not going to be a way for them to get there. Just like Jesus in the Gospels that we've been studying, eventually he says, enough, we're moving on. So you can't always count on, well, he'll be there again. I'm going to go do my thing, and I'm just going to go do my own thing. But here we see God is very patient. He gives Jonah a second chance. And now he says, just like he said the first time, in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria and a very hated, hated enemy of Israel, which is why Jonah doesn't want to go there because he hates the Assyrians. Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he hates the Assyrians, and he doesn't want them to be saved. He wants them to be judged and destroyed. So now we're going to see finally Jonah is going to obey, but very reluctantly. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And what that means is it was so big, it's easier for me to think of Harris County, Houston. It's huge because it's got all these surrounding villages and cities also around it. So Nineveh was very, very big, and it would take you three days to go through the city. Literally three days to go through the city. Is Nineveh, is that Damascus now, or what, what's the current day city, or is there a current day? It's near Mosul, Iraq. Verse 4, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. So he's trying to get back to the center of the city, which, by the way, then that would be a real safe place. That's where the wealthy people probably lived in the very center of the city for more protection from enemies, the closer you were in the center. And he cried out and he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, a couple of things about this message. So God told him to go try to get them to repent. And you can see Jonah's just kind of half-heartedly going about this. And he's basically saying, you all are going to get annihilated. That's his preaching. That's what his message is. Now you all are going down. Okay, we talked about going down last night. That's basically his message. It's a message of impending doom. He's not asking them to repent and be saved. And the reason for that is he really doesn't want to help them. He's sort of going through the outward motions of what he thinks God's asking him to do. But what's interesting is God can still work with it. We're going to see. Even though Jonah is just kind of going through the motions. Now, this word overthrown, the Hebrew word is hapax. And it actually has two meanings. Here's some irony. And we talked about this last night too. Throughout Jonah, there's lots of irony that is used. And so this word has two meanings in the Hebrew. First, it means what Jonah meant, which it means destroyed. And it's actually the same word that was used when describing Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's how Jonah means it. It means in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. That's not how God meant it. Even though Jonah is saying it, the other way this word can be used is it means changed. And it can mean, for instance, it was used, if you go back and look at the story where Moses threw down the stick and it turned into a snake, that's the same Hebrew word that was used for that. It was changed. And so while Jonah is saying, you're going to be destroyed, hapax, what God is actually meaning is you're going to be changed. They're going to be changed. Because remember, they don't believe in the one true God. They believe in lots of gods, idols. Verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. There's the change. Even though this is probably not the best, most effective preaching ever. And this gives me hope because I know when I'm working with you guys, I'm not the most eloquent, but somehow God uses what's coming out of my lips to hopefully change y'all's hearts. Even when I make mistakes, this gives me hope. In any event, we see the people of Nineveh believed in God, even with that terrible preaching that Jonah did. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. So they're turning to God. Sackcloth was a way to show that you were being repentant, being very humble, showing humility. That's because poor people would wear sackcloth. So that's what they were trying to show their humility by doing this. 
in basically saying they were in poverty. They're in need of a Savior. They're sinful people. They need God's mercy. Verse 6, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. This Nineveh king, he may have been, actually, because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, this may have even been the king of Assyria. He's not described that way, but it could have been. But this king of Nineveh, he responds really even better than, remember we were talking about who the king of Israel was at that time, Jeroboam II. So he's being a better king than even the king of Israel was because he was a bad king. And let's watch what he does. Verse 7, And so the king of Nineveh issues a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God, with a capital G, earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Look at this text. It doesn't say that they listened to Jonah, and because of what Jonah said, they turned. Clearly, God was at work in spite of Jonah, in spite of the fact that Jonah really didn't have his heart in it, in spite of the fact that Jonah was really judging these people. But God worked through Jonah, and he was known as a Hebrew prophet. And even his terrible message, God was able to even use that in a way to work in and through them to turn the Ninevites to the one true God. And look what he says in verse 9. Who knows? God, capital G, may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so we will not perish. We see here they're hoping that, and the king's hoping that if they abandon their wicked ways, and by the way, the Assyrians, those soldiers, they were known to be extremely violent, extremely wicked people. And here the king is saying, look, we need to repent from the way that we have been. And so another point at this point I just wanted to kind of highlight here is a life growing spiritually comes to God in humility and not in arrogance. And so if you're growing spiritually and just like these Ninevites are taking their first step, they're coming to God with a very humble heart. They're not being arrogant like we saw Jonah. Remember when they asked Jonah who he was? Well, I'm a Hebrew and, you know, I'm all that. Very arrogant. That's not what we're seeing from the king of Nineveh. Final verse here in this chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the heart that God wants from us. By the way, this isn't works, even though he says it saw their deeds. What this is, is God always responds to a repentant heart. When we repent, God will pick us right up where we left off. When we mess up and we sin, God's ready to take us right back when we confess that, and he's ready to move on. This also foreshadows that Christ is going to be raised from the dead, just like Jonah was from the fish, whether or not he was dead or not. But he is going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Remember, the Ninevites are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. God worked through Jonah to bring salvation to the Ninevites. And this is foreshadowing that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, came back from that, and 
came to the Gentiles and brought them salvation. So that's what this is foreshadowing. One other fun thing, just just fun fact. The Assyrians worship Dagon, which if you do any fun, just Google search, Google image search. Dagon is a man swallowed by a fish. So like, just Google it right now. You'll find just a picture of, of, of Dagon the God is a dude in a fish suit. <laughs> D-A-G-O-N. And so, I mean, imagine this. Jonah spent three days in a fish. So he's going to smell like a fish. His skin is going to be probably like bleached out white. from all, I don't know how much stomach acid fish have and all that. But if you're sitting in a fish's stomach or whatever for that amount of time, things are happening to you. You're absorbing all the innards of the fish. And so you smell like a fish. You probably look a little bit like a fish. You're a little wrinkled. Anyway, and so when he gets there, the reason why I feel like he didn't need much of a sermon to re- cause everyone to repent, he walks up and they're like, oh, wow. I mean, he came right from the belly of the fish. And it fits right within. I mean, this is how God is so awesome. And like, this is why I love the Bible, right? You, you, you reading that, you're like, but historically going outside the Bible, go like, oh, what did the people worship? They worship the fish man. And here comes the fish man to tell them to repent. That's and amazing. so therefore they do. So mind blowing. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, what's interesting is you might think that's the end of the story, right? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He ends up getting swallowed by a fish, comes back, gets vomited up on the land. He finally relents, goes to Nineveh. The people are saved, right? Seemed like that should be the end of the story. Nope. And that's not the most important thing about the story. Let's keep reading. This isn't the end of it. One thing this does show is that while you can do the will of God and still kind of not have the right attitude about it, he can still work with that. He doesn't much like it. I hope that this last chapter is going to bring this whole message back home to us individually. Because Jonah loved religion and this outward appearance and being privileged as a Hebrew. He liked all that, and he loved his country. He loved Israel. That was his idol. And he loved that idol of Israel. He loved Israel so much, it caused him to hate Israel anybody who was against his beloved Israel. His love for Israel caused him to hate anybody who was against Israel. And God didn't really like that so much. So let's look what happens. So he kind of barely goes through the motions, heart not in it. Nineveh is saved. God's will is done. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. In fact, the Hebrew word that is translated as angry, it actually says he burned. He burned. I mean, he was so mad. He was so mad at God for saving this enemy of Israel, and he was just being selfish. The irony here is that Jonah gave a very simple message to the people of Nineveh to repent, and they did. They turned to God, and God relents. And yet Jonah is angry because he hates the Ninevites. So verse 2, watch this prayer. Jonah prays to the Lord and says, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Didn't I tell you if I went there, they were going to be saved? It's like, why did you do this? I told you this was going to (laughs) happen. 
That's what he's saying. Jonah says, therefore, in order to forestall this, you know, to not let you show this compassion to these terrible people, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. In other words, I know you're a loving God. I know you love to save people. And I knew that's what you were going to do. That's why I was trying to help you out. You know, I was going to go the other way. So we wouldn't let you save the enemies of Israel. And on the one hand, while you can sit there and say, Jonah, you know, don't pray like this. On the other hand, sometimes we do need to tell God what's on our heart. There's nothing we can tell God that he hadn't heard before that he doesn't already know anyway. He knows our heart. And so at least Jonah's saying, look, man, this is not where my heart is. I know that's what you wanted to do, but I don't understand this. I'm not seeing this. So at least he's pouring his heart out to God. But the problem with this prayer is this is all focused on Jonah rather than what God wanted. That's what we're seeing here. Jonah's heart is just not right. So let's keep reading here. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah's sitting here popping off to God and saying, isn't this what I told you? And now he is so burned up with anger, he's even thinking it would be better if he were dead than to realize that he had anything to do with saving an enemy of Israel. So here's another little point, a lesson that we can take away from this. A life growing spiritually actually understands grace and Jonah just doesn't understand the grace of the Lord at all. It's like he's acting arrogant that, you know, he's Israel. That's the home country. That's the mother country. We shouldn't be trying to save our enemies. If we've received grace, we've received mercy in our salvation and we didn't deserve it at all. Because of that great gift that we've received, we ought to better understand to extend that to others as well. There's lots of people who are believers who miss out on a lot of God's blessings and joy that they could have here on this earth because they then become so self-centered like Jonah is. Verse 5, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what happened in the city. So I can only imagine here that now Jonah's thinking, all right, well, the Ninevites, I hate them. They're our enemy. They're really bad people. They may have looked like they repented, but you know what? Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe that didn't really stick. I'm going to sit out here, kind of get away from the city because maybe this is going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going up in flames. I'm going to sit back here from the distance and watch the judgment come. And he's, he's kind of hoping that God is going to now bring judgment upon him and destroy him. So he goes out there kind of hoping that's going to happen. And let's watch what God does. Verse 6, So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. It's very hot, very hot out there. So God gives a plant to provide some shade. So here we see yet again God showing compassion to Jonah. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So he's so happy. God's provided for him again now, made him comfortable. He's physically comfortable, so he's very happy again. And he's waiting for God to bring judgment. Verse 7, 
But God then appointed or provides a worm which came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. God's going to teach Jonah. Verse 8, and it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. So here we see Jonah's physically uncomfortable. Now he's not happy again. He's still hoping that Nineveh is going to see judgment. This is just terrible. And here's another point that can be taken from here. Jonah's definitely not growing spiritually, but a life growing spiritually is going to be more concerned about people than things. And when you don't have Jesus, even suicide starts looking good, which goes back to what we talked about yesterday, how many young people right now that don't have God, there's more mental health issues in first through 12th grade than there ever have been. And it's because they don't have God. And so now Jonah is still trying to run from God. He's mad at God, and now death is even looking better to him. Let's see what God does. Verse 9, Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Like, you're all upset because the plant died. Do you really have a good reason to be angry? You didn't provide the plant anyway, is what he's saying. He said, And I have good reason to be angry even to death. That's what Jonah said. So Jonah's just being like a stubborn little baby. God's trying to show Jonah that his nationalism and his hatred for Israel's enemies is wrong and that God can show compassion to whoever he wants to show compassion. He can show grace and mercy to whoever he wants to show that to. Verse 10, Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work. In other words, you love the plant, but you didn't do anything to get the plant. I gave it to you. And he says, in which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight, and then it perished overnight. Verse 11, and should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals? So what he's saying there is the Ninevites, they had not received near the revelation about God that the Israelites had received or that Jonah had received. Sure, they worshiped pagan gods, but they had not received near the revelation about God that the Israelites had. And yet at the time, the Israelites, who this is written to, were really being bad. They were not worshiping the true God. And yet here you've got the Ninevites who have come to God with very little with even bad preaching, okay, from Jonah. All of a sudden, then, the book ends. There's no response from Jonah. Why do you think the book just ends like that? Why do we just come here? God says this. So what happened? What did Jonah do? Anybody got any thoughts? Why would God just, why would the story end right there? Well, I think the book ends right there because it's not about Jonah. It's about us. What are we doing? The question is, when God's asking us to do something, which he is, he's asking us to go make disciples, share the word to unbelievers, what are we doing about it? Are we like Jonah? We got our other thoughts, our other priorities. We got other things to do. 
I think it ends like this because the ones God wants the answer from are us. He was certainly talking at that time to the Israelites. He was asking them, what are you going to do? God loves all people and he wants everyone saved. And that's one of the reasons we've been left here. Here at this point, he's extended his grace to Israel. And he's also now extended his grace to Israel's most hated enemy, the Assyrians. But they were more responsive to God's message than even Israel was. Then one of the things that happened following the end of this story, they, as I said, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. So they fell. They did go down. But how do we respond to God's call on our life? What are we doing? Yeah, help kind of put that in perspective. Another Google search. Google the burial site of Jonah. He, he was buried in Nineveh. So for a Jewish prophet or a, yeah Israel, Israelite prophet to be buried outside of Israel is crazy. So why would he be buried there? Probably because he was waiting for God to destroy them. And he would rather die than see them not destroyed. So in his just like hatred, he ends up, they have a burial mound. And in 2015, ISIS destroyed his tomb, but that's not a story. But like everyone knows that Jonah was just buried in Nineveh, which is mind-blowing because a prophet is never buried outside of Israel. That is a big, crazy thing that never happens. So either he fell in love with it and he grew to love Nineveh, which I doubt, or in just his anger, I'm going to die rather than go back to Israel without a conquer vanquished uh, enemy. And so I feel like that's sometimes how we can be. It's like, I have my idol, I have my thing, and I'd rather die than see that be taken from me. And whatever you would rather, it's like this goes back to if your idol is your comfort, I'd rather die than lose my comfort. I'd rather die than whatever the thing is. I'd rather die than lose my God. That's ultimately how martyrs become martyrs is because they will not say no to their God. And so I feel like that's where ultimately our idols of comfort or approval or power or control can always just sort of consume us. And so we've always got to be very careful as the thing that I'm wanting, even good things, is that become a destructive force of idolatry in our lives that we would say, I'd rather die than lose that comfort, power, control, approval. So what is that thing in each one of our lives that we're still hanging on to? That's getting in the way of us having a more robust relationship with the Lord. Or another thing, it's just God's plan for Jonah to be buried in Nineveh. That was all part of his plan since he hated Nineveh so much. I might see it a little different because if you think about it, Jonah had to either write this or tell someone about it. And even if you're telling somebody about it, you've kind of realized that I didn't do the right thing by that. And so I view it a little different. I can't tell you one's better than the other. All I'm saying is there's definitely two different views there, both valid, both still provide good teaching to us. Don't hang on. Go to your death still hating your enemy. You know, that's, that's, definitely, that's definitely good. On the other hand, and God can get the thing written one way or another, but Jonah's the only one that knows this story. Is there a chance, it occurs to me, maybe the Ninevites buried Jonah there because they were grateful to him. He brought That he him. saved them. He brought mm-hmm. the message of yep. repentance. That's possible too. Well, I never pictured Jonah having such anger issues. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, issues. I can't imagine being so angry you want to die. And he says it over and over again. Man, he's got problems. 
Well, I feel like it goes back to what Mike was saying earlier. He was raised in an evil country that had lost its way. And so ever since the, the break off from Israel from Judah and with King Rehoboam, there was never a righteous king, never. And there was never reform. And here it is that God is literally speaking to the prophet Jonah, expanding them. They got Damascus. I mean, Damascus where? Syria? Yeah. They expanded to Damascus, Syria, which is Assyrian... Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital. They're pressing against that, and he just sort of falls in love with the victory, and that must be what God is all about, is nationalism. And so there's just this unbelievable struggle in the battle that the very thing you thought your life was about is completely wrong. And boy, that is a, that's a mind shift. That's hard to comprehend. And that's how I think for a lot of us, when we take on the depravity of our own soul and the darkness of our own hearts, to realize the things that we love the most are actually the things that are killing us or preventing us from having a right relationship with God. That's just... Yeah, so think about what are those things that we have in our life? Let's just all have a little self-reflection. And it's hard to do because these are things we don't want to deal with. But I'm going to venture to guess each one of us has some little something that we're wanting to hold on to that God's saying, you know, if you would just get rid of that, I could sure have a much closer relationship with you. There's a lot of things I want to do in and through you, but that's getting in the way. And I'm not asking you to volunteer it. I'm just asking you to have a little self-reflection. What is that? And you can't get rid of it on your own, by the way. There's no way to get rid of it on your own, but you've got to say, you know what, God? I'm willing to be made willing. If you can just take that step. I cannot do it. I love whatever it is too much. I keep trying to hang on to it. And whenever I try to get rid of it, I fail. But I'm willing to be made willing. And it takes you to make me willing to let go of this. And so I'd ask us all to just reflect on that today. Let God put it on your heart. And you may be sitting there and going, I I can't think of anything. That right there would tell me that you definitely got a problem. And if that's where you are, that's okay. But then I would change the prayer and say, God, make me aware of that thing that I need to focus on. Or you may be in the other camp. God, I got so many things. I don't know which one you want me to do next. I want to hold on to all of them. So put on my heart, what are we going to tackle together? What's the one we're going to tackle together next? And make me willing to do this. And the joy from that victory that you will have, I don't want this to sound like a prosperity gospel, but the joy and the blessings and the way you'll be able to see God working even further in your life through that, very, very powerful. And he can do it. And we've heard just even last night, some of the folks who had alcohol problems, they didn't let go of those on their own. So Larry, in your experience, was it the anger that you had toward God with Lindley? let go of that for you? No, I think I had a bigger problem than that. My problem was my focus on my plan and my focus on myself. That's where I was all messed up. My career, wanting to be somebody rather than be a servant for God, that's where my whole problem was. And that's what the situation with Lindley, God made me aware that, hey, it's not about you in your plan. It's about me and my plan, and you got to trust me. That was the real learning. Yeah, I was angry at God, but I think that was just kind of a side thing. I didn't lose my faith. 
I wasn't like Jonah where I was saying, I'd rather die than deal with this. I was praying every day, almost all day, every day, God, look, I know you got the power to make this right. I don't like this at all. So there was anger there, but there was still faith. Like, I know you can fix this. You just got the wrong guy. You made a mistake somewhere. And I'd go back to my spiritual resume you've heard me talk about. You know, I lead Bible studies since high school. I've never missed church. I pray all day, every day. I, you know, here's my, look, you got the wrong guy. I was like the Pharisees. I'm this self-righteous guy. You know, I mean, how can you let this happen to me? I'm like Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew. It's like, dude, I'm one of yours. I'm a Christian. You can't let this disaster come in my life. And God said, you know what? It's all about you, and it ain't about me. And I know I'm repeating this for a lot of you, but the spark that God used to show where my heart was all messed up, I sat down to do my morning devotional, just like I always was doing. And I turned to John 9. And, I mean, you all know the story. I won't turn to it. Basically, Jesus is walking with the disciples, and it's John 9, 1 through 3, and they come upon a blind man, And my anger by that time had actually turned to guilt. I was kind of in this phase. I was moving down the spectrum. I was angry at God. Now I'm at a place where, you know, it's probably not good to be mad at God. I must have done something. I did some sin really bad, and now this is the result. As we talked last night, sin impacts you and those around you. I said, okay, what did I do? I did something. He's trying to get my attention, and he's using this as a vehicle. You know, what did I do? And probably by that time, the doctors are saying she's not going to make it, you know. So I kind of figure, okay, this is a one-way street, and uh, she's going to die. In John 9, they're walking with Jesus. They say, hey, here's this blind man. He's been blind since birth. Who caused his blindness? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And I'm going, that's my question. That's it. What's the answer, Jesus? Was it my sin, Lindley's sin? She's not even old enough to have done any sin. What did I do? And Jesus answers and says, it was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but it was so that my glory could be shown through this blind man. And that hit me. I'm starting to get choked up right now thinking about it. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, it's not about my plan. You got a different plan for my daughter. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. But you want me to trust you. And it's about your plan, and somehow your glory is going to be shown through whatever Lindley's got to go through. And we took Lindley home from the hospital to die. They said she won't make it through the end of the week. We took her home, and she gradually and gradually and gradually got better over a period of years, and she's 36 today. And they sent us home saying she wouldn't make it through the end of the week. I don't still fully understand. What is her handicap? She was born totally normal. She became intolerant to lactose. Right after we got her home, after feeding, she was not a happy camper at all. There, my wife talked to her mom, and her mom reminded her that she had been intolerant to lactose. Put her on a soy formula, and she'll be fine. We did that, and she was great. I mean, slept. She was like a perfect child. We went in for the two-month checkup told the pediatrician, he said, yeah, that's got to be what it is, but I'm going to send you down to the medical center downtown Houston. Just let's have some tests run, make sure that's what it is. There's not something more major going on. 
We got with a doctor who had never done the test on a two-month-old infant. Only adults used an adult instrument that pushed air into her stomach. She threw up and aspirated and was without oxygen for an extended period of time, which caused brain damage. And then all the drugs they put her on to try to revive her caused kidney damage and liver damage and all kinds of other problems. So that's why she's had five hip replacements, five elbow rebuilds. Her bones are just like powder falling apart. So, yeah, that's her life. She functions at about, well, you heard me say a minute ago, uh, she believes in Santa Claus still. So she's probably maybe in first grade, maybe. Some things she understands better than others, but I'm certain she would have been brilliant because there's something she comes up with that you just go like, oh my gosh. For instance, I could bring her here from Austin one time, and a year later, she could bring me right here. It's little things like that that you just go, what? Does it tell you, wait, you should have turned right there. Yeah, you're right. The joy that she's brought my life and others. She FaceTimes me 50 times a day. She's so happy. She's just joyful. Never complains about pain. So she's had more of an impact. I know I'm giving you my testimony. She's had some of it anyway. Yeah, I certainly don't completely understand it. And I still have times where I'll fall back and I'll say, oh, what if, you know, like, gosh, what if Lindley was normal? I'd have grandkids by now or, you know, I could be playing golf or tennis with her or just all that kind of stuff. Then I realize, yep, I know God. I'm sorry. I'm being selfish. I'm thinking of me and my plan again. I'm sorry. Let's move on. But this keeps getting on my heart right now. This must be for somebody. I don't even know where this is coming from. I feel like somebody needs to hear this. Another big part of that story, and the people who have been in this Bible study a long time, I'm sorry you're going to hear this, you've heard it before, is about forgiveness. Because I didn't forgive that doctor for a long time. I don't remember exactly when it finally came about that I did. It was over 10 years, I can tell you that. I don't remember exactly when. I was consumed with trying to figure out a way to make sure that doctor never made a mistake like that again with an infant ever. You know, like, how can I get his license away from I was consumed with it all the time, thinking about, God, a doctor, I mean, can you believe what he did? Made such a stupid mistake. And finally, the Holy Spirit kept working on me, working on me, working on me, and made me understand that that doctor didn't show up that day saying, what little beautiful girl can I ruin her life today? You know, he showed up trying to help her. He made a basic, serious mistake that screwed her life up, at least in this earth, at least screwed up in terms of what I would have expected, not God. But he didn't intend to do that. And all the mistakes I've made in my life and all the sins I've committed and God's forgiven me, I got to forgive this doctor. I mean, if I've been forgiven as much as I've been forgiven, how can I continue to hold this anger and hate, just like Jonah had, towards this doctor? He didn't intend that result, and I forgave him. And I can tell you, as soon as I did, this weight lifted off my heart. I was no longer consumed with hate and trying to figure out what could I do to get back at this guy. Revenge, you know, I would couch it in the way of I don't want him to hurt another family. But deep down, it was like, that guy's got to pay. 
You know what I mean? And now, once I found forgiveness, because trust me, that was not me. That was the Holy Spirit that put that on my heart. I don't even think about it anymore. I mean, I get asked about it from time to time when I'm doing talks. It doesn't consume me. I'm free. And so maybe there's somebody here that has this feeling of hate or somebody you need to forgive. If this is hitting you, I hope you really pray and just ask again, ask God, make me willing to forgive. Because that forgiveness, I actually think, is more for you as the forgiver than the one who's being forgiven. Because it is so freeing. I can just tell you the peace that comes with that. And you're not wasting your bandwidth thinking about this person who just drives you up the wall or you're so mad at. So it's been said that it's the last thing you think about at night before you close your eyes and the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up. That kind of resentment. It'll eat you up. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.